Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Sarah Smith is a Melbourne-based architect who has practised both at home in Melbourne and in London. After graduating from RMIT, Sarah moved to London and worked for Arup Associates, where the exposure to a multidisciplinary office provided the basis to her career. After her time at Arup, Sarah began working at Foster and Partners, where she worked on the development of hotels, offices and multi-residential buildings across all facets. On returning to Melbourne, Sarah worked at Bates Smart and then Denton Corker Marshall before co-founding Honeyman and Smith. Sarah joins us today to discuss the role of architecture in medical practice. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today on Knocked Up. Thanks, Geordie. Thanks, Aurelia. Um, I'm an architect registered in Victoria and I work for Honeyman and Smith Architects, a partner with my partner, Tom. It's 10 years old this year, which is really exciting. So we also have a little workshop in Cambridge in the UK. So Tom's English, so we are um, growing our business over there as well, which is really exciting. I worked in London for about four years at One Practice Arab Associates, which is a multidisciplinary practice. It was really amazing. And then I went over to Foster and Partners, which is a very large practice in London, pretty notorious for pretty exciting projects. So that was um, a very, very steep learning curve for me and really yeah, set incredible. me up. To, what an experience yeah, to work there. Yeah, yeah, it was really amazing. So, yeah, I worked on um, a hotel in Mumbai, a lot of affordable housing in London, so it was really good as well to really understand how that worked. And, um, yeah, lots of competitions, which was pretty crazy fast. Um, but, yeah, very, very good great experience and yeah back in Melbourne worked at Bates Smart as well great office and also Denton Corker Marshall which is a very exciting practice as well so yeah I've got a good diverse range of very very good architects that I've worked under which have given me lots of good experience yeah yeah so and then yeah been running our practice for yeah 10 years so we do quite a lot of residential architecture but um, also cross into and want to do a lot more um, sort of community institutional design as well so it's it's we we don't say no to anything really and we're interested in in most building typologies so and and very early in your career Sarah when you were still a student you got interested in maternity architecture tell us about that yeah, I did. I did because of an interest I had in the body and the body, its connection to a space and how you are, how you experience the built environment. It was something very obvious to me that the, the body and the human had to come first in how you might design a space. So I was assisted through some really great tutors at RMIT and saying, well, if you want to explore that more, a really good way of doing that would be through 
something like a maternity ward. Um, so it's very much based on the body and how the body is going through such an extreme sort of process. So I started looking at that in more detail in, in, in I guess, in association with a hospital. So, yeah, yeah. This is a bit of a different topic for us. We really wanted someone to speak to our listeners about about the spaces that we inhabit and that we go to for for possibly, I don't know, scary procedures um, or meetings and how architecture is important not just in homes or workplaces, it's also in medical clinics. And you've written a thesis about this, so we thought you'd be a great person to speak to. I was always interested in the body um, and its connection with maybe an interior space and architecture because um, I did ballet for many years from when I was three right up to about 21, I think. So I think it definitely gave me something with music and rhythm and pattern and maybe it makes you more aware, um, you know, with the discipline of something like ballet. So um, when I got to the end of my course, architecture, um, uh, I was sort of guided and we established that a really good thesis would be on possibly a maternity ward um, and the associated areas with that, just because it was a really good way of um, designing, um, not not so much in a hospital where you're talking about sickness, but obviously pregnancy and labour is something to be celebrated it's not an illness um, but it needs sort of um, programs attached to it if things do um, need specialized care or things like that so it was a really good way of having that program and then overlaying design on top of that so I was really interested always in that type of thing so it was a great way of um, yeah exploring what could be better better done in hospitals I guess they're they're pretty mundane maternity wards that they really haven't changed much over many many years um, there's reasons obviously for that but I still believe they could change a lot more um, there's so much scope to make it a better place better experience for people I have personally just gone through having a baby so it's really good I can actually overlay that now and see what my experience contrasted with my thesis back when I did it um, so yeah, it's really interesting. It was, the project was actually at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and it's where the new Royal Women's is now. So it was done back then when they were writing the program for that project. So it was a way, it was sort of looking at how you could maybe expand the pregnancy, make it more enjoyable. And then also when you arrive going into labor, how you could make that much more, um, enjoyable experience, obviously considering that contractions and all sorts of painful things are happening to somebody's body at the time but maybe how it could feel better not as sort of maybe constrained or clinical or cold things like that so yeah that's what I explore generally um just with the thesis yeah I would think functionality is even more important in in a medical practice than in other architecture I think uh, if something goes wrong medically, it's a little bit more different than if a workplace doesn't function optimally. How is that explored when someone is is looking at a new project? So I, I have actually touched on this in practice. So I worked at Bates Smart, which is a really good established Melbourne office here, and they do a lot of hospitals. They most famously did the Raw Children's. I think that's probably their most um, prominent project. I did work on an Epworth project. So I saw how it did um, come together, sort of all of those requirements and guidelines. So it's user groups generally, um, obviously, and doctors and nurses and everybody 
gets to sort of establish what their requirements are and then you sort of the architect goes from there. But there's there's obviously regulations as well. That's all fairly boring. But there's, yeah, it has to be done so that um, there are ways of, yeah, as you say, maybe an emergency situation, certain widths and lengths and um, connections from one department to the next need to be managed. But there's still a lot of allowance for creativity in between that because I think as well because technology changes you know all the time so that means that our our design and our layouts can change as well and you know most people in the hospital would know that that they are ever changing um, it's just that unfortunately we apply sort of the same idea each time rather than maybe just asking a few more questions on how it can be better yeah but you're right Jordi. I mean it's definitely more important to get that right so that we don't have something go wrong that didn't need to because, you know, something wasn't set out the best it possibly could be. Yeah. When, when we designed our clinic in Caulfield North, our new clinic, we were very aware of wanting to make our patients' experience as calm and serene and it's got to be medical. It's not non-medical but non-threatening as yeah. possible. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what can an architect do within the constraints of a medical practice to achieve those goals for, for the patient experience? Yeah, I think it, um, it's obviously looking at a brief and um, every brief is different. And I think, Raylia, you know, you've got a boutique clinic and I think that would have really helped the architect with that because it makes it a little bit more specific and they could really um, grab on to it's a more of an individual situation that you have for your clinic. So I think that would help um, with the creativity. Obviously in your um, entrance and your waiting space, which I've been to and it's great, like it's got that idea about um, caring and nurturing and the natural light, that's obviously an architectural element that is probably one of the strongest techniques we can use to make people feel calm or alert. Uh, it obviously uh, it depends on if it's a rainy day or a sunny day, but it can always be relaxing in a way. It connects you to the outside. Also, things like heights and volumes of spaces. I, I'm really interested in that. How, especially with women's health and possibly birthing, etc., how a space can um, expand and then contract. Um, so you feel that. I guess that rhythm and that pattern, um, it, it becomes more intense and possibly more aligned with what you're going through at the time as well. So your uh, waiting room rail has got a really high ceiling that has this sort of um, uh, angled uh, parapet up to the highest point, which is great. And it, you know, it gives you that sense of uh, lightness, I guess. And then you go into the more sort of serious hallway and you can be a bit more intimate I guess which is good so there's sort of all different types of architectural techniques you can use color and tone and texture are other things that can all create calm or alertness and things like that so yeah. do you think that the past kind of hospital architecture really took the patient experience much into consideration in terms of the hospitals we all know and are used to or do you think it was just with a very functional lens? I think definitely the patient has been left to the last consideration up until maybe this point where we're starting to see a few more interesting projects. Yeah, I think it's definitely more, more towards the 
what the medial, medical approach needs to be. So the doctors and nurses, what do they need primarily? And the patients sort of came last. And that, it's not actually the worst thing in the world. Like it is what you're generally going to a clinic or a hospital for, for care, good care. But I think because we learn so much more and rather you are into this too, the holistic approach, I think we're learning now that possibly you can overlay importance of making it a patient-guided design experience as well because it can improve the patient's well-being. Maybe it gives you more time that the patient, if they're in a calming space, they can wait a little bit longer while the doctor can tend to maybe a higher importance case. So there's loads of pros and cons, and I think people are realising that more. But obviously it's a bit of a slow burn in institutions which are, you know, billion-dollar projects, and to change any of that is a big deal. So, But clinics and things like that can definitely do, do more, I think, yeah, be a bit more creative. Sarah, in your ideal world, what would the ideal maternity hospital look like? That it would have um, a lot of light, a lot of change in spaces and a lot of length in spaces. So it would be larger, I think, than the spaces that we're currently given, like rather than going from A to B and pokey little hallways. Um, that would be one thing. I think it's kind of, it can be a bit cringe to say, but curves um, are something in architecture that are highly discussed, whether it, it can't be a gestural, oh, I just put a curve in because it's a softer line, but it can be a way of maybe a more visceral experience and maybe that's something that can help you when you're going through something so exciting and so um, such a big part of womanhood which is about to give birth. So curves, very clear um, monotone surfaces, I think, which can be calming. And I touched on this in my thesis, which was um, making areas like corridors, which are normally really pokey, making them bigger so that it encouraged movement. So I guess it goes into maybe active labour. So encouraging you to walk around rather than having to just stay in your little room and walk around in circles, which I don't think is that you know, nice to do in such an experience. But, and lots of sort of uh, patterns and ways of making your journey through possibly labour go through different stages of a building. So I'm not an expert in knowing what the stages are and I sort of forget what they are, but there are stages. So maybe it's breaking the building up into those in, a, in an interesting way so that, it could, it could help in sort of pain management um, and all sorts of things like that. So something, something like that. <laughs> when you visited um, Women's Health Melbourne, you, you talked about some of the architecture and the light and the natural light. Could you maybe talk through um, to our listeners the experience of when you walk in through to um, when you see a specialist and how the architecture makes that experience different to I guess a, a traditional clinic yeah um yeah definitely I think attending sort of specialist clinics or my experience in seeing them it can sometimes be that cold often in an old Victorian terrace that's pretty common and it can be dark yeah, yes. um yeah, it, exactly. I think that's probably most people's experience, Dark, and you're really just cutting to the chase with, okay, what's your reason to attend and really getting straight into the health issue or whatever it might be straight away. 
And that's fine, but I think sometimes it doesn't have to be like that, d- depending on what the reason for attendance is. And I think that's where uh, Raylia's clinic and her entry and waiting space, which we've touched on, when you enter in there, you're definitely dealing with somebody that's saying, well, you know, I've obviously got medical advice I can offer you, but maybe it's a more holistic offering I can give you as well depending on what you're going there for because of the light and the casualness and that sort of calming effect of all the you know the soft furnishings and things like that that have been used so I think that's an improved experience I think regardless of what the reason to attend a clinic or um, specialist office is for uh, I think that it can definitely help rather than, yeah, it just slows the experience down, I think, which is a nice thing because I think people can have anxiety going to see a a doctor or or whoever really Um, and if you can make that feel a little bit calmer, I think you get A, better results and B, just a more enjoyable experience. So it's better for everyone. Compared to your um, your thesis, which was written some were done some time before you were pregnant and gave birth, what were mm-hmm. the most surprising things that you discovered from seeing it as a, as a as a spectator to compared to a participant? Um, Do you remember? Very, <laughs> yeah, it's a really good question. I guess when I did the thesis, I was so far away from considering having a child that I was quite young. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that's quite interesting, actually. But yeah, I think look, it's. When I when I talked about when I designed my project, um, the arrival was really important. So when you really like you get out of your taxi or you get dropped off or whatever, and obviously you're excited, you're stressed, you're obviously going to be probably in pain as well. Um, so we designed this beautiful sort of curved entry point. It also had a ramp down, so it was also about changing level. I think it all would have felt quite interesting when I looked at the drawings just recently. But then when my experience, I had to go and I had to wait in a tiny little room. My The room wasn't ready. I was on some horrible upholstery, blue daggy carpet, you know, and it was, I couldn't believe it actually. And I was having contractions. So it was pretty bad. I mean, and it's no one's fault. It's just the way the hospital was designed to, you know, under a budget, groups and guidelines, regulations, et cetera. But I think that's where if we could all just say, look, let's just try a little bit more to make these a lot better because it's a really intense thing to go through and to just be in this little tiny room waiting. And And the problem is it's the same room as if I had have gone in for a stroke or something. You know, it's just pregnancy and something like that is so different I think that that's where I'd like to sort of, I I would love to explore that further and see where it could go. Yeah. I think we're seeing certainly in the last 20 years, like in our generation, we're seeing quite a shift from medicine and architecture as really being the domains of of males practising. And we're certainly seeing Mm. that shift. And I think Aurelia's practice really demonstrates that. And we we talk about a little bit in medicine about how sort of the new guard of doctors coming through and how they're different to what perhaps we grew up thinking a doctor was. What changes are you seeing in architecture and how, I guess, in the industry? And then how do you think that's affecting design? 
Um, it's thought about a lot. Uh, women in architecture, it's, you know, I think it's a movement across most disciplines at the moment to promote women more. I've never really had too much of a problem with seeing women sort of coming through. I think when I started, you know, it was sort of 50-50 at university. So that's good. Um, when I worked in London, it was very much 50-50. So that was, that was great. But I think I feel like women and men do design quite differently. Um, mm. there's, it could be a range of factors. I'm probably not experienced enough to actually touch on what they are, but it definitely comes across differently. Um, a woman's body is different to a man's body, and if you're going to look at designing something like a maternity ward, I think you're definitely going to overlay a different connection, um, regardless of if you've given birth or not or whatever. I just think that your your application is going to be a bit different. So... Yeah, I think there's some things written on women and men designing in architecture, but um, obviously I, my practice is with my partner, Tom, so he's a male. So we sort of, I think it's quite nice. We do have it come together from a male and a female, and I think that that is a strength rather than, um, yeah, it never goes one way. We do it together. So it's a good question, though. It's something that could be talked about, you know, a lot. It's, it's interesting. How, how have you had those conversations and how do you plan to navigate that 50-50 kind of arrangement parenting? Will it go for 50-50 or will it be sometimes more skewed one way or the other? What's the plan? (laughs) It's, again, really good question. I think we're navigating that at the moment. It's like I think that's one of the most not talked about issues in having a child, like how your relationship going forward um, how you deal with parenting, etc. But I think, I don't know, the maternal thing comes out a lot. Like I do feel like I need to take the lead with some things, but we've, we're definitely wanting to do 50-50. I think that particularly with COVID-19, like um, we've been, you know, Tom's been working from home a lot and that's been great. Like he can actually have a lot more bonding time with our little one. So that's good. I think I think that's really great to have have sort of co-sharing of you know that parenting responsibility. But yeah, at the same time, my womanliness comes out a lot, and I sort of feel like I know what's right at certain times, but it might not be. I don't know. It just yeah, it's quite interesting though. It's it's forever shifting. I think every day. You mentioned COVID nineteen and how in your circumstance with a very young baby, it's been really nice to have working from home. In terms of medical architecture, do you think COVID-19 and the current events are going to change how we design moving forward? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's going to be so much change to all types of building typologies, particularly homes. Working from home, just that generally, obviously people are looking at how they can have a better office environment slash study. But yeah, we've been talking about it a lot, even with your entry point into your home. um, It will no longer just be a door going into, you know, an entrance or a stairway or whatever. Like we're going to have to look at having little alcoves or cleaning rooms or sort of like um, a refresh room. So, you know, we have our sanitizer at the door. I'm not sure you guys probably have similar things. You can't always get straight to the tap and wash your hands when you get in the door with your shopping bags or whatever. So this isn't just, you know, a bottle popped on the shelf. It's going to change the way we design um, fundamentally to make your homes 
sort of that break point from outside in the streets, which possibly have a deadly virus, <laughs> to your home, which you want to be, you know, free of any type of bacteria that, you know, we can't live with. So, yeah, it's going to change it a lot um, from that perspective, I think, the whole hygiene thing and, and as well as the whole office thing and working from home. So, yeah, I'm really actually quite excited about it because I love when we sort of push what we know as being, oh, and you just do that and you add that and you have that working with that there, and we can rethink it now, which is um, really good, I think. So, yeah, we're thinking about that actively with our practice. One thing I've noticed is that because, I mean, like if you're not an architect and you you do obviously appreciate your surroundings, but you maybe don't think about it as critically as you would walking through a building. I noticed when I went to the women's hospital where I do a public clinic that entering the building was a very different experience with the COVID-19 restrictions. For example, it used to be that there were multiple ways into the building and that you could Mm -hmm. go in, for example, straight from the, the car park, up a staff lift or up a staircase and avoid the main thoroughfare where patients might enter from the street or even enter from the car park in a patient dedicated elevator Mm. whereas now because of COVID-19 and because of basically policing of everyone who enters the hospital because everyone's getting their temperature checked everyone's logging in on an app so like everyone has to go in the same entry point and there's like a single entry point for everyone all at the same time and so you end up with this queue to get into the hospital and it's like a bottleneck and it just makes you kind of realise that the building, the way it was designed before, had this ability to manage flow of all these different people with all these different agendas all at the same time and suddenly we've got to have a rethink and, you know, kind of like they've obviously had a strategy to cut that flow so that they can have some kind of overall overarching authority to check everyone who comes in the building it's amazing yeah yeah Yeah. that is it's really interesting and as you say like that's one of the most interesting parts about hospitals the amount of different people that need to go in every day 24 hours all doing different things from cleaning down to sort of across to specialists and um, all different frequencies of visits um So you're right, and to think about all those access points and managing them is just not going to be efficient or effective. So you're right, when these things happen, the buildings suddenly look really daggy and really ancient, and it's like we almost need to do an adaptation quickly to change it. So like as you say, you can't be queuing and waiting. It needs to be something that's much more um, effective but safe as well um obviously monitoring controlling who's coming and going all the time so yeah all these things um user interface with buildings and monitoring how bodies move through is is all such an architectural idea and um it needs to be treated uh, as such so yeah i think we'll see lots of changes in that as well we can't just have little laminated signs up everywhere we've got to actually physically change the building to suit this is a question that a lot of that a lot of our patients will be thinking about, which is adapting their home for a baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you know, lots of of people who are having their first child and even their second or third, but specifically the first, 
have to think about how they might adapt their home or their space for a baby and their family. And can you give us any, any professional tips um, as an architect on how they might do that and, you know, whether there are ways to do it better than, than others? Yeah, definitely. It's a really nice thing to think about, isn't it? Um, you know, that sort of old school idea of prepping your nursery before the baby arrives. I think that was really interesting. I didn't do anything of the sort, which it's kind of, it felt a bit indulgent. I sort of wanted to wait until A, we knew what we were having. And then B, I think it's interesting to look at your baby and what your baby's personality is telling you. And obviously it's hard when you've got a baby to even think about bringing out a bucket of paint or whatever you might want to do. But it is, I think, from my perspective, it's nice to wait and think about more in line with your child and what they're asking for and listening to their sort of cues. So that's one thing we've done. Um, and the other thing I think from from my instinct, I really knew that babies weren't going to um, respond to which is a trend at the moment which is sort of minimalism and that sort of pastely gray which doesn't work for a child like they can't even see the you know um, some of the decor against these beautiful white walls so I think um, anything more dynamic that's going to allow your little baby to start to see or read objects um, maybe it's you know strong yellows and reds which you may not like but obviously the most important thing is your baby and their development so it's possibly for me using color I was really excited about using lots of color for a baby to really learn from um, and then yeah thinking from the baby's point of view not yours I think is a really good thing not making your nursery look uh, like it does needs to in a magazine you go from what your baby's telling you and what they like it might not um, look, uh, you know, trendy or whatever, but it'll be, I think, a lot better for their response. So, but it's interesting you say that because um, it's interesting. I've been thinking about breastfeeding actually, and with I didn't buy a specific chair, and obviously you want to be really comfortable when you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding. But I've looked at how a chair can be incorporated into a space so that um, you're comfortable, it's easy to use, things like that, and yeah, it comes down to design a lot and how that can function with all your other bits and pieces that you have around for the baby. So, yeah, I think thinking about that as well is something that will help. You have to be able to get out, out of a chair one-handed when you're breastfeeding yes, your baby. <laughs> I know, one-handed. And a lot of chairs are really low, so you want it to be higher and easier on your knees. And, um, yeah, as the baby gets heavier as well. Yeah, you're right. It's just... Yeah, I don't. I think I saw a really recently designed chair on um, a good sort of platform, but really it hasn't gone very far. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I could look at designing a chair that can answer all these things, and you, you know, a place to put like your phone and a cup of coffee and things like that. So, <laughs> yeah. And Sarah, where can our listeners find you if they'd like more information? Um, you can find us um, at. Our website, www.honeymansmith.com.au. Uh, our office in Melbourne is based in Richmond and you can also email info at honeymansmith.com.au as well for any questions about today or anything else. Get a tuck, reach out. We're always happy to chat, have a coffee, talk about any projects or questions Yeah, people might have. 
Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's been really fun. Love having a chat about um, architecture and health. It's really exciting. Thanks, guys.